Well, good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing today? Pretty good. I hope you all had a very blessed post-Easter week. Maybe there was a day off there, or maybe you were just uh, inspired by uh, the celebration of Easter uh, this week. Uh, I want to also say hello to people who are joining us online. It's so great to have you as uh, we're able to share this opportunity to gather all around the world. And so you're an important part of us here today. And uh, just below on the screen there, if you just want to say a hello or even just a, a chance to, for you to just acknowledge where in the world that you're watching us today, uh, maybe Matt, you're there from Hawaii, or I know that we've had people uh, watching uh, from China. Uh, from uh, Germany and from other places in the world. And so we just so are so blessed that you would join us uh, here today. Um, I want to quickly just uh, mention something that was given to me as a piece of advice uh, when I was uh, taking my preaching courses uh, when I was studying. Uh, one, one, a famous quote when, uh, from a famous preacher uh, always said that when you preach, you need to have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in another which I thought was really good advice. Um, however, if I had a third arm, I would also say that uh, you need to have uh, maybe an IMDB account as well, uh, because that's where I get all my information about movies and actors and actresses. Uh, but I just find m movies are a beautiful way um, to share some parables about some biblical themes uh, in way and communicate them in ways that people know and understand today. And so I almost always, uh, when I'm preparing for a sermon, I'm looking at uh, maybe there's a movie illustration or a story somewhere that, uh, that can help me communicate this message. Um, and so that was no different here today. Uh, but one of the things that I discovered as I did a quick search, I'd like to just share with you a quick list of some of the things I found. So I googled and I looked in through IMDB, which is just Internet Movie Database, um, top movies of 2017. So these are the top ones when I did my search about what came up. Star Wars is another Star Wars movie. The Fate of the Furious, which is a remake of Fast and the Furious. There's another Wolverine movie coming out. There's a King Kong remake. There's Garden, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. There's another Spider-Man, Lego movie, Beauty and the Beast, Fifty Shades Darker, and so many more. I would say by the sounds of that list that 2017 is going to be the year of the sequel or the year of the remake when it comes to the movie world. And so I'll be watching really closely uh, who's going to win that Best Original Screenplay Award this year. Because if all the movies this year are remakes or adaptations, um, I'll, be seeing to, I'll be curious to see uh, what new comes out this year. But as we were celebrating the Easter story last week, as we acknowledged and uh, we were celebrating the death and the resurrection of Jesus... Today, as we continue our eight-month eight journey uh, through the whole Bible, we are talking about, well, what comes next? Kind of like the way that the sequels that we mentioned here before, there's more of the story to tell than the story of Easter. God continues to move and continues to do great things. And as if it wasn't already clear about how this, makes, this story makes sense to our lives today, even though the Easter story happened thousands of years ago. Starting uh, from this part of the Bible to the rest, we see a direct connection between our lives and our story and how it came to be and what got us to this point since Jesus walked and talked and lived and died and rose again. 
we now learn that God's plan to continue on his message, to share with the world his good news, his plan is to use his people and to use his church. And that was his plan from the time that Jesus rose from the dead to now and in all the stages and generations in the future until Christ returns. And so like I said, we've been walking through this journey since September now, as we've been going cover to cover, uh, learning and talking about all of the stories fairly chronologically about how God has been moving and walking in our lives. And so if you're just new with us in the last few weeks or you've not started a reading plan with us, uh, we would love to encourage you as we go through these last few weeks, we're coming up to the end of the Bible now. We've got four weeks or so left. And we would love to have people finish strong with us as we finish off our reading plan, as we finish off the New Testament, and we begin to see the connections being made between what the early church lived through and was passionate about and how that connects with how we can live out our faith today as well. So we are going to the book of Acts today. And so if you want to turn with me, we're, we're at the video actually in three minutes summarized 12 chapters of the book of Acts, which was great. Um, I'm actually would like us to focus on two chapters uh, today as we, as we talk. And so um, if you would turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts is the first book after the Gospels. So we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then the very next book is the book of Acts. Now, uh, kind of like what I mentioned before as uh, the sequels, the book of Acts was written by the same person who wrote the book of Luke. And we learned a few weeks ago that Luke was very detail-oriented, and he wrote his book in a specific way so that a specific thing would get learned about who Jesus was. But Acts isn't really like a sequel as much as it is more just like a volume two, because it's very likely that the writer Luke wrote the book of Acts and then just kept going, or wrote, wrote the book of Luke, and then just kept going and wrote the book of Acts. It's just that he needed more paper than his scroll would allow. So it's very possible that we have volume one, which we now call the Gospel of Luke, and volume two, which we now call the book of Acts. And if you're reading along with us, you'll probably also notice uh, that sometimes in your Bibles it will actually say Acts of the Apostles, instead of the book of Acts. It's the same book. Uh, some Bibles just abbreviate that. And uh, throughout the book of Acts, it talks about these apostles. It doesn't use the word disciples very often anymore. And just a quick, a quick difference between the two. The disciples in the Bible were the people who followed and listened and heard, saw with their own eyes and heard with their own ears um, the words and the teachings of Jesus. The apostles, on the other hand, are people who uh, have, were given the task and the mission of living it out and carrying about the mission of the church and starting churches as people began to gather and to respond to the story of the disciples and of Jesus. The apostles were the ones who established God's church. So all the disciples were apostles, except for, of course, Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. But not all apostles were disciples. Hope that's clear a little bit. Uh, so we're going to focus just on two chapters here today. And if you uh, have made your way to Acts 1, verse 8, it's on the screen now, but uh, it's also on page 1691. If you want to use uh, one of these uh, red Bibles uh, with me. And the book of Acts is the book 
that explains how the Christian movement began in our world today. Jesus started the movement with his teachings and his encouragement and his direction to send his followers out into the world. But it was the book of Acts that describes and explains how God's church grew, what they thought about, what they did, what was happening in the world, and how it began as a movement. Now, before we read this one verse, uh, maybe just a quick show of hands if you're brave. I hope I'm not the only one. I wasn't at the 930 service, so that's good. But uh, just quickly as a show of hands, have you ever made this mistake like I have? Have you ever acted before you thought? Yeah, didn't, and, and probably didn't turn out so great, did it? No, not for me. I often am guilty of that. Uh, our last CE board meeting, for example, I suggested to our CE board that Rivercross Church ought to build a parade float and then send that parade float through a parade that the CE board reminded me does not exist. And so as I was really excited about the idea, I thought it'd be a great idea. Thankfully, the CE board, you can pray for them, by the way, as they try to keep me in line. Uh, but they reminded me that, no, the Canada Day Parade exists, but they don't really send floats through it. So that would have been something if Rivercross was the only float at a non-float parade. Uh, but I, or if I, if, if I brought my wife up here today, I'm sure she could give you all kinds of examples of times that I acted before I thought. And Heather, she, she left. <laughs> so thankfully for that. Um, but I like to think about our disciples in that way. You know, they just had this powerful experience. They saw with their own eyes their risen teacher who overcame death showed himself to his disciples. If, was, if something like that happened to me, I would be busting down the doors and wanting to tell the whole world about the things that I've experienced. I would want more than anything else in the world with all of the confidence in the world to know that Jesus really was who he said he was. That he did the things that he did to prove uh, that he was who he was, that we could trust him, that we could rely on him. And hey, if he can overcome death, certainly everything else he said would have been true. I would have definitely been acting before I thought. But God got that. And he instructs his disciples to wait. See, Jesus no longer was going to be walking and talking and teaching with his disciples the way that he always was up until this point. On the other hand, though, Jesus knew that we would never be alone. See, even when Jesus was teaching his disciples, he was giving them a promise that something greater was going to come, and he wasn't going to give it until he left. Jesus had an important thing for our disciples to know and to have happen with them and around them and in them before they could go and carry out the mission of the church. And that is a promise that Jesus gave his disciples. It's also a promise that was in the Old Testament through the book of Joel, through Jeremiah, and in other places. And though that promise comes true in the chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Acts. And that promise is God's Spirit. God's Holy Spirit was to come into our disciples' lives and forever, from every generation on, make a difference in his church. God's promise was that people who followed and trusted him would receive his presence 
or his Holy Spirit. Now, in church history, sometimes uh, we've often referred to it as the Holy Ghost. That word ghost or spirit, it comes from a Greek word that says it's called pneuma. And pneuma really means like a forceful wind. And so as you would imagine, the same way that a tree moves and responds to the blowing of the wind, so a Christian moves in response to the Holy Spirit. So we come to Jesus' very last words. The very last thing that he says to his disciples. It's in verse chapter eight, or chapter one, verse eight. He says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The story continues another verse, and it says, After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. See, God understood, and Jesus understood, that the drive and the will and the motivation and even the authority and adrenaline rush of seeing their risen Lord was not going to be enough for the disciples to carry out the next step of their mission. They needed God's help to succeed. They needed something more powerful to carry out miracles, something more perfect to make up for their shortcomings, more eternal to make up for when they were weary or tired or burdened, and needed something more effective at turning the hearts of the people that they would share their story with. So God himself comes to his people and gives his hope and his power. He gives his strength, his encouragement, his perseverance, so that the church was being formed not by human hands, not by a great epic story that the disciples told, but by God himself through the Holy Spirit, through his people, we now see a church that was built to last for generation to generation to generation. In my life, I've proven myself over and over and over again that my own efforts, my own abilities, my own even desires are not enough. My ways burn me out, they discourage, they fail, they tempt me to compare myself to others. And in my own life, I've let myself down way more times than anyone else has ever let me down. See, these first disciples, if all that they had with them was their story and their experience and their words and their abilities, then the Christian movement would have died within its first generation. It would have been over, and none of us would be here today. Instead, God's Holy Spirit worked in his people and established something that was so great that no human could ever accomplish it on his own. God himself was moving his people toward a great thing, being his church. And that's true for all of us even today. God's Holy Spirit continues to work and continues to move and continues to invest in people's lives so that they would respond as well that we would have God's power to carry about God's 
work. We need that. The disciples learned that they needed to know who the Holy Spirit was. And so do we. We need to know the Holy Spirit and to let him do his work in our lives. Well, how does all of that work? What does that even look like today? Well, I've got three C's for you today about what the Holy Spirit does and how he can work in our lives today. First one is that he comforts us. The Holy Spirit comforts us in reminding us that God's presence is with us, that he's here. That's a comforting work of the Holy Spirit. Second thing is that he counsels us. God teaches and gives us a straight path and shows us the direction that we need to go. He gives us wisdom. He counsels us. And then third, he convicts us. He gives us a passion to act on his behalf, but he also encourages us to consider our need for him as well, our need to be forgiven, to be made right with a perfect God. And he shows us the way to receive that forgiveness. The whole reason why Easter happened in the first place, that Jesus died and lived again so that we could be made right with us. That conviction within our heart that we need to be forgiven and that only God can do it is the work of the Holy Spirit today. I have an illustration I'd like to share with you. Um, I became a Christian when I was 19. And at that time, I was uh, in university, I was going through my studies, and uh, I noticed my emptiness and my need for God. And thankfully, there was an on-campus group that invested in me and came alongside me and helped me uh, understand and put some things in, uh, in my heart and in my, in my mind about, uh, about God, about who He was and what He did for us. And uh, I didn't attend very well as I was becoming... Uh, a new Christian, a new believer. And so this leader person that came alongside me, he didn't know me very well, and he certainly didn't know what kind of a relationship with God that I may or may not have had. But regardless of that, he gave me this illustration that I'd like to share with you today. He used a chair to kind of illustrate my life. And uh, he said to me, Matt, he said, imagine this chair is your throne. This is the kingdom of Matt where Matt can do what he wants, and he can say the things that he wants, and he can make the decisions that he wants. And, oh, by the way, you also have to pay the consequences for when things don't go the way that they should. And as he, he asked me to sit on my throne, and he said, how does that feel to know that you're in charge and you're in control? I said, well, it feels okay. He said, how does it feel to know that you are responsible for all of the consequences that your decision makes? And I said, that doesn't feel very good. Because I know I've let myself down and I've let God down way more times than I could ever have made up for by doing good. And so he actually encouraged me to consider that it's the Holy Spirit that allows us to release our desire to control or to be king of our lives and instead to let Jesus be the king. That he would make the decisions for our lives and that we would follow that he would say things and we would believe him to be true and that we would act out of his heart and his desire and his will and through the Holy Spirit comforting us and counseling us and convicting us, the Holy Spirit gives us the heart and the head to believe and to trust in Jesus in his rightful place and the throne of our lives. 
And so I share that illustration today for us to maybe reflect individually about what place does the Holy Spirit have in my life or our lives today. Now, we're not done yet. I know the music's playing. We're kind of setting the mood. But uh, we're going to talk a little bit later about how God uses his people collectively as his church. But for now, could we just consider our own thrones, our own life? And what role do these three C's do we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our minds or in our hearts or in our lives? The worship team's going to lead us in through a song. I'll ask that you would stay seated. And the, wo- the words will be up if you wish to sing along. If you'd rather reflect and just think about where God is working in your life, then that's okay too. But I'll ask the worship team to just lead us in a time to pray and to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts.
God, that you would use your Holy Spirit in our lives, that we would put you first in our decisions, that we would seek you first for your perspective, and that you would guide our hearts to do things that only you could accomplish. So I hope that this was a time for you to reflect individually about how God might be working in your life. But thankfully, God's Spirit actually uses the collective of his people as well. And just as important is the way that the Holy Spirit uses what the Bible uses as an analogy, his body, to go and to do the things that the church was meant and created to do. Thankfully, he calls his church to be led by the Holy Spirit as well. God knows that we need him, and he provides for that, but he also knows that he needs us to carry out and to be a blessing to this world as well. And so our role is as an individual to be moved and shaped by the Holy Spirit, but our role is also to be, contributing, to be a contributing member into Christ's body, the church. You see, the church is not a building. It's not. It's a gathering of people living for a common purpose, which is to glorify God and to be a blessing in everywhere that we go. And the book of Acts is all about how they went about going and being that blessing, responding to the message and to the love of God. So the promise that we read earlier in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, to, that they would receive the power of the Holy Spirit comes in chapter 2 of the book of Acts. So in chapter 2, the very next chapter, we read about this powerful and beautiful event of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was a religious holiday. It happened about five weeks after Passover, and they would gather together, and people were coming again to Jerusalem, gathering from all sorts of cultures, speaking all sorts of languages, having all sorts of backgrounds, and then the Holy Spirit, as promised by Jesus, as promised in the Old Testament and Joel, Jeremiah, and other places, comes true. The Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, and they supernaturally were able to share the good news of God's love in languages that everyone else could understand. So people were blown away by the fact that these common folk knew all of the languages of the world and were able to share the good news of God's love with them in ways that they could understand and ways that they could hear it. And this powerful message for us about what first happened at Pentecost is a reminder for our church and the world's church that God's message of love and compassion and, and, and to help fight for justice is a message that everyone is called to receive. No matter your favorite baseball team, the language you speak, whatever borders you put around yourself or country, God's love and his message is intended by his church to be received and be sent out by and for everyone. That is the message and the power that the Holy Spirit has been working toward and encouraging us to be part of even today. So in chapter 1, after Easter, we've got 200 people at the very most who were committed to following Jesus and co coming together and to, knew, and to know that, uh, that Jesus was still their Lord and Savior. Uh, one short chapter later, we read that 3,000 people grew into their, their presence and into the family of God in that one short time after Pentecost. And we see now that the church is starting to grow exponentially. The Holy Spirit was working among them and doing things that they couldn't do on their own. 
But of course, as would be true even today, as groups gather and as numbers get larger, people start to notice. And in some ways, that's a good thing because other people respond positively to the message as well. But on the other hand, people, the disciples, the apostles, new believers were also about to receive and to endure suffering and pain and persecution because of what they believed. See, the government saw the Christians, the reason, one of the reasons why Jesus was killed, but the government noticed, and the religious leaders of the day noticed, and they wanted to put an end to this Christian faith once and for all. They thought they had done it when, when they killed Jesus, but now it's Jesus' followers that they needed to deal with. And our faith, even today, can cause us to know suffering and to know hardship. It's not just a promise, it's a guarantee that even in our world today, we will have trouble. But I offer some hope with the story of Saul. We saw a quick version of it in the video that we watched, but Saul was one of the most important religious leaders of his day, and he was set to destroy this Christian movement once and for all. He approved murders and all sorts of terrible things to happen to the people who believed in Jesus. In fact, on his way, uh, when he was going to find and hunt down these other Christians, he has an encounter with Jesus. Now, Jesus could have used that time to finally get revenge once and for all over this person that has caused so much pain and trouble to his followers. But instead, the hope that we see that even Saul received God's love and God's call in his life Saul was transformed on the inside. His name even gets changed to Paul. And through his leadership, not only does he go and become an advocate for uh, the Christian movement, but he becomes the most important Christian writer of all time. As Paul's letters that he writes to the different churches in the world and to the early church form most of what we have left in the Bible. Most of our New Testament was written by this Saul turned Paul. And that gives incredible hope because if, if God can even work in the life of Saul to accomplish good things for his church, then certainly he can use our lives. We've all done things that are against what God wants us to do, but he still calls us and welcomes us through his Holy Spirit into grace and into love and to accomplish great things for his purpose. And so there is incredible hope when we read that story of Saul being transformed by Christ because it reminds us that that's still the same kind of work that God's doing in our world today. That same hope is available to us now. Now, can I be just totally honest with you? Uh, not that I haven't been totally honest already, uh, but if I could just say, you know, a common response to the Christian message and to church life in general is that people often will say, I don't want anything to do with those people because they don't live out the things that they say that they're supposed to live out. They're a whole bunch of hypocrites. And can I kind of agree with them in some ways? That perhaps if you look over the 2,000 years of church history, that yeah, Christians have really messed up. We've done some things that were wrong and were against what God wanted us to do. And so without trying to water that down or to deny it or to say that we are not responsible uh, for some of the tragic things in history, can I offer another perspective, the same perspective that Saul experienced, the perspective that God's Holy Spirit is the one that's calling us toward great things, and that, yeah, people screw up, 
and we're going to keep screwing up, but it's the Holy Spirit that is going to work toward a life and a love for Christ that only he can accomplish. So I offer a few examples. To a society today where individualism that guards the protection and the rights of the individual, there is a church in the book of Acts that presents a radical community where members held all things together in common. To a society today where each one is left to fend for him or herself, Acts presents a group of Christians who were so committed to Christ and to the cause of the gospel that they were willing to sacrifice their desires for the goods of others. And in an age when many avenues are available to avoid suffering altogether, and therefore many Christians have left out suffering from their understanding of any sort of Christian life, Acts presents a church with a passion so strong for the gospel that they're even willing to lose their lives over the story of God. And that is what our world needs. That's what the Holy Spirit is striving to see happen in our world today. And that's what he's calling us to be a part of. And so, yeah, we get things wrong. We mess things up. But God is moving us toward something that only he can accomplish. And that thing is good. It's good for us. It's good for his world that he loves so much. And it's good for the people that are around us. And that is the kind of community that we are striving for as a church. And I offer that with a reminder that we don't do that on our own. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as they are going to lead us in our final song. Um, but I'd like to close with a few, th- a few thoughts for us. Uh, there's a promise that Peter actually uh, gives to us. And after the event of Pentecost, where thousands of people are coming to know the, the faith and uh, to hear God's message in their own language, Peter's encouragement for us and for those listeners was to respond in the ways that are on the screen. And so this is just after Pentecost when Peter replies, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now listen to Peter's words here. This is a promise just as much for us as it is for those original listeners. Listen to what he says here. This promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. Peter is saying that this is God's promise to anyone who will respond, whether it was 2,000 years ago, 2017, or in the future. God's Holy Spirit is his promise to us that we can accomplish his work. Things might get tough, but we do have each other. We have our church where we can depend on God's power, where we can see thousands of years of history that provides and shows us that God always comes through and that his church has endured and gone through so many different changes, but the message has never been the same or never been different, that he loves us and has made a way for us. So often when we close in a service, we have a time where we kind of have a reflect and, and share and, and celebrate uh, the great news of God's heart and God's message. But um, I'm, I'm going to ask that we bring our clapping hands back for this last song. Okay, I want us to celebrate the fact that God is calling us together to do great things. And his Holy Spirit is moving in our church today to accomplish the things that are so beyond our own ability and our own capability. And with that attitude and with that thought, I'd love to send us out this week with a celebration in our hearts to know that God can accomplish great 
things. So we're going to celebrate that today. I'm going to pray really quickly, but then I'll ask you to stand and to join us in our final song. Let's pray. God, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the gift and that uh, the truth is that you do love us, that you love us so much that you send us yourself. You sent yourself as Jesus so that we would learn the way and that you would send yourself as the Holy Spirit so that we would have your power to do about your work. God, make us people who are depending on you and putting you in your rightful place on your throne and on the throne of our lives, the throne of this world. Lord, guide us as we go about this week and bless us as we celebrate today. In Jesus' name, amen.